Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. right guys we're in kind of like not like a hurry but we have to get ready for school we got a little distracted this morning because what happened what did max decide to do in the house he decided to take i'm i'm sorry you guys if you don't have a dog if you get grossed out with dog poop just fast forward 20 seconds but he took a big old stinky doggy dookie in the house I had to clean it up, and then I kept getting distracted. So now we have 12 minutes to read this chapter, and I know it's going to go over. And then we have to hurry because Peyton has an orthodontist appointment today. Okay, ready? Sorry about that gross talk, but, like, ugh, what a morning. Nice nice way to wake up. And Peyton was like, Mom, to let me know. <clears throat> okay, A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. Book the Seventh, The Vile Village. Have you? Do you remember this one, The Vile Village? Yeah, okay. Chapter 1. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, and no matter how many people are chasing you, what you don't read is often as important as what you do read. For instance, if you're walking in the mountains and you don't read a sign that says, beware of the cliff, because you're busy reading a joke book instead, you may suddenly find yourself walking into the air rather than on a sturdy bed of rocks. If you're baking a pie for your friends and you read an article entitled how to build a chair instead of a cookbook your pie will probably end up tasting like wood and nails instead of like crust and fruity filling and if you if you insist on reading this book instead of something more cheerful you will most certainly find yourself moaning in despair instead of wiggling in delight so if you have any sense at all you would put this book down and pick up another one i know of I know of a book, for instance, called The Little Elf, which tells the story of a teensy-weensy little man who scurries around fairyland having all sorts of adorable adventures, and you can see at once that you should probably read The Little Elf and wiggle over to the lovely things that happen to this imaginary creature in this made-up place instead of reading a book and moaning over terrible things that happen to the Baudelaire orphans in the village where I am now typing these very words from. The misery, woe, and treachery contained in the pages of this book are so dreadful that it is important that you don't read any more of them than you already have. The Baudelaire orphans at this time, the story begins, were certainly wishing that they weren't reading the newspaper that was in front of their eyes. A newspaper, I'm sure you know, is a collection of supposedly true stories written supposedly true stories, that's funny, written down by writers who either saw them happen or talked to people who did. These writers are called journalists, and like telephone operators, butchers, ballerinas, and people that clean up after horses, journalists can sometimes make mistakes. This was certainly the case on the front page of the morning edition, the Daily Pun... The Daily... Punctilio. How do you know? Daily Punctilio, which the Baudelaire children were reading at the office of Mr. Poe. Twins captured by Omar. (laughs) The headline read, The three siblings looked at one another in amazement over the mistake of the Daily Punctilio journalist made. Duncan and Isadora Quagmire, Violet read out loud, two children who are the only known survivors of the Quagmire family have been kidnapped by the notorious Count Omar. Omar is wanted by the police and a 
for a variety of dreadful crimes and is easily recognized by his one long eyebrow, the tattoo of an eye on his left ankle. Omar... Imagine it's a right ankle. Yeah, oh my gosh. This is left ankle, yeah. Omar also has a kidna- has also kidnapped Esme Squalor, the city's sixth most important financial advisor, for reasons unknown. Ugh, the word ugh is not in the newspaper, of course, but this was something that Violet uttered to herself as a way of she saying yep, that she was too disgusted to read any further. If I invented something as sloppily as the newspaper writes its story, she said, it would fall apart immediately. Violet, who at the age of 14 is the eldest of the Baudelaire's, was an excellent inventor and spent a great deal of time with her hair tied up in a ribbon to keep it out of her eyes as she thought for new mechanical devices. And if I read books as sloppily, Klaus said, I wouldn't remember one single fact. Klaus, the middle Baudelaire, had read more books than just about anyone his own age, which almost at, which was almost 13. At many crucial moments, his sisters had relied on him to remember helpful facts from a book that he had read years before. Cretchen, Sunny said. Sunny was the youngest Baudelaire. She was, she was a baby and scarcely larger than a watermelon. Like many infants, Sunny often refers, uh, often says words that were difficult to understand, like Cretchen, which meant something along the lines of, and I used, if I used my big teeth to bite something sloppily, I wouldn't ever leave a tooth mark. Violet moved the paper closer to the one of the reading lamps in Mr. Poe's office and began to count the errors that had appeared in the few sentences that she had read. For one thing, she said the Cragmires aren't twins, they're triplets. The fact that their brother's brother perished in the fire and killed their parents doesn't change their birth identity. Of course it doesn't, Klaus agreed, and they were kidnapped by Count Olaf, not Omar. It's difficult enough that Olaf isn't in disguise, but now the newspaper has disguised his name too. Esme, Sunny added, and her siblings nodded. The youngest Baudelaire was talking about the part of the article where it mentioned Esme Squalor. Esme and her husband, Jerome, has, had recently been the Baudelaire's guardians, and the children had seen with their own eyes that Esme had not been kidnapping, kidnapped by Count Olaf. Esme had secretly helped Olaf with his evil scheme, and they escaped with him at the last minute. And, for reasons unknown, is the biggest mistake of all. Violet said gloomily. The reasons aren't unknown. We know them. We know the reasons that Esme, Olaf, and all of Olaf's associates have done so many terrible things. It's because they're terrible people. Violet put down the daily punctilio, looked around Mr. Poe's office, and joined her siblings in a sad, deep sigh. The Baudelaire orphans were sighing not only for the thing that they had read, but for the thing that they hadn't read. The article had not mentioned that both of the quagmires and the Baudelaire's had lost their parents in a terrible in terrible fires, that both sets of parents had left enormous fortunes behind, and that Count Olaf had cooked up all of these evil plans just to get a hold of these fortunes for himself. The newspaper had failed to note that the quagmire triplets had been kidnapped while trying to help the Baudelaire's escape from Count Olaf's clutches, and the Baudelaire's had almost managed to rescue the quagmires only to find them snatched away once more. The journalist wrote the story that didn't include the fact that Duncan Quagmire, who was a journalist himself, and Isadora Quagmire, who was a poet, kept a notebook with them everywhere they went, and in that in their notebooks they had written down terrible secrets of, that they had discovered about Count Olaf. But if all of the Baudelaire orphans knew of the secret were all of the Baudelaire's knew of this secret were the initials VFD and the and that Violet Klaus and Sunny 
were always thinking of these three letters and what ghastly things they could stand for. But most of all, the Baudelaire orphans had read no word about the fact that the Quagmire triplets were good friends of theirs and that the three siblings were very worried about the Quagmires and that every night when they tried to sleep, their heads were filled with terrible things imagining what images of what could be happening to their friends who were practically the only happy thing that the Baudelaire's had in their lives since they received news that the fire killed their parents and began the series of unfortunate events that seemed to follow wherever they went. In the article, the Daily Punctilio probably did not mention that these de- details because the journalist who wrote them did not know about them or did not think that they were important. But the Baudelaire's knew about them and the three children sat together for a few moments and thought quietly about these very, very important details. A fit of coughing comes from the door doorway of the office brought them out of their thoughts and the Baudelaire's turned to see Mr. Poe coughing into a white handkerchief. Mr. Poe was the banker who had been placed in charge of the orphan's care after the fire and I'm sorry to say that he was extremely prone to error, a phrase here which means always has a cough and placed three Bo- the three Baudelaire children in an assortment of dangerous positions. The first guardian, Mr. Poe, for the young youngsters was Count Olaf himself. The most recent guardian had found them with Esme Squalor, and in between he had placed the children in several circumstances that turned out to be just as unpleasant. The morning they were supposed to learn about their new home, but so far, Mr. Poe, all he had done was was have several coughing fits and leave them alone with a poorly written newspaper. Good morning, children, Mr. Poe said. I'm sorry to keep you waiting, but ever since I was promoted to vice president in charge of orphan affairs, I have been very, very busy. Besides, finding you a new home has been something of a chore. He walked over to his desk and covered, which was covered with piles of paper. Sat down and sat down in a large chair. I put calls out to a variety of distant relatives, but they've all heard about the terrible things that tend to happen wherever you go. Understandably, they're too skittish about Count Olaf and to agree to take care of you. Skittish means nervous, by the way. That there's one more, one of them, one of the three telephones at Mr. Poe's desk interrupted with a loud, ugly ring. Oh, excuse me. The banker said to the children and began to speak into the retriever. Poe here. Okay. 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 I thought so. Okay. Okay. Thank you again, Mr. Fagin. Mr. Poe hung up the phone and made a mark on the one of the papers of his desk. That was the 19th cousin of yours, Mr. Poe said, and the last hope of mine. I thought I could persuade him to take you just a few for just for a couple of months, but he refused. I can't say I blame him. I'm concerned that your reputation as troublemakers is even ruining the reputation of my bank. But we're not troublemakers, Klaus said. Count Olaf is the troublemaker. Mr. Poe took the newspaper from the children and looked at it carefully. Well, I'm sure the story in the Daily Punctilio will help the authorities finally capture Olaf, and then your relatives will be less skittish. But the story is full of mistakes, Violet said. The authorities won't even know his real name. The paper calls him Omar. The story was a never disappointment to me too. The story was a disappointment to me too, Mr. Poe said. The journalist said that the paper would be would put a photograph of me next to the article with the caption of my promotion. I had my hair cut for cut for it especially. I would have made my wife and sons very proud to see me in the paper. So I understand why you're disappointed that the article is about the Quagmire twins instead of being about you. We don't care about having our names in the paper, Klaus said. And besides, the Quagmires are triplets, not twins. The death of their of their brother changes their birth identity, Mr. Poe explained sternly, but I don't have time to talk about this. We need to find... Uh, 
Another one of the phones rang. Mr. Poe excused himself again. Poe here, he said into the receiver. No, no, no. Yes. 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 I don't care. Goodbye. He hung up the phone and coughed into his white handkerchief before wiping his mouth and turning once more to the children. Well, that phone call solved all of your problems, he said sim- He said simply. The boatlers looked at one another. Had, had Count Olaf been arrested? Had the quagmires been saved? Had someone invented a way to go back in time and rescue their parents from the terrible fire? Could all of their problems have been solved with one phone call to the banker? Flynn, Sonny asked. Mr. Poe smiled. Have you ever heard of the of the aphorism he said it takes a village to raise a child the children looked at one another again and less hopefully this time the quoting of an aphorism is like the angry barking of a dog or the smell of an overcooked broccoli rarely indicating that something is helpful or about to happen it is about to happen. An aphorism is a small group of words arranged in a certain order because they sound good in that way. But oftentimes, people tend to say them as if they were saying something very mysterious and wise. I know it probably sounds mysterious to you, Mr. Poe continued, but an aphorism is actually very, very wise. It takes a village to raise a child means that it is that the responsibility for taking care of youngsters belongs to everyone in the community. I think I read something about this aphorism in a book about the booty pygmies, Klaus said. Are you sending us to live in Africa? Oh, don't be silly, Mr. Poe said, as if the millions of people who lived in Africa were all ridiculous. That was the that was the city government on the telephone. A number of villages just outside the city have signed up for a new guardian program based on aphorism. It takes a village to raise a child. Af- orphans are sent to these villages and everyone who lives there raises them together. Normally, I approve more traditional family structures, but this one is really quite convenient and your parents will will instruct that you be raised by the most convenient way possible. What? That is not what they said. Do you mean that the entire town would be in charge of us, Violet asked? That's a lot of people. Well, I imagine they would take turns, Mr. Post said, stroking his chin. It's not as if you people would be tucked in bed by 3,000 people at once. Snoida, Sunny shrieked, which meant something along the lines of, I prefer to be tucked in bed by my siblings, not by strangers. But Mr. Poe was busy looking at his papers in his desk and didn't answer. Apparently, I was mailed a brochure about this program weeks ago, he said, but I guess it got lost somewhere on my desk. Oh, here it is. It took, take a look for yourselves. Mr. Poe reached across the desk and handed them a color, colorful brochure, and the Baudelaire orphans took a look for themselves. On the front of the aphorism, on, on the front was the aphorism: "It takes a village to raise a child," written in flowery letters. And inside a brochure were photographs of the children, with huge smiles at the Baudelaire's mouths, ached to look at them. A few, a few paragraphs explained that ninety-nine percent of the orphans participating in this program were overjoyed to have a whole village taking care of them and that all the towns listed on the back of the page were eager to serve as guardians for any interested children who had lost their parents the three baudelaires looked at the grinning photographs and read the flowery aphorism and felt a little flutter in their stomachs they felt more than a little nervous about having a whole town care for as a guardian it was strange enough when they were in the care of various relatives. How strange would it feel if hundreds of people were trying to act as a substitute Baudelaire? 
Do you think that we would be safe from Count Olaf? Violet asked hesitantly if we lived in an entire village. I should think so, Mr. Poe said and coughed into his handkerchief. With the whole village looking after you, you'll probably be the safest you've ever been. Plus, thanks to the story and the daily punctilio, I'm sure Omar will be captured in no time. (laughs) Olaf, Klaus corrected. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Poe said. I meant to say Omar. No, the villages that are listed in this brochure. You children can choose your hometown if you'd like. Klaus turned to the brochure and read it over and over from the list of towns. Poultryville, he said. That's where Lucky Smell's lumber mill was. What a terrible... We had a terrible time there. Calton, Sonny said, which meant something like, I wouldn't return there for a tea in, for all the tea in China. The next village on the list was called Tedia, Klaus said. That name is familiar to me. Oh, that's near un- where Uncle Monty lived, Violet said. That's Let's not live there. It'll make us miss Uncle Monty even more than we already do. Klaus nodded in agreement. Besides, he said, the town is nearby Lousy Lane, and so it probably smells like horseradish. There's a village I've never heard of, Ophelia. No, no, Mr. Posted. I want you have you living in the same town as Ophelia Bank. It's my least favorite banks, and I don't want you to have to walk by. I don't want to have to walk by when I visit you. Uh, Zounce, Sunny said, which meant, that's ridiculous. But Klaus nudged her with his elbow and pointed to the next village, listed on the brochure. And Sunny quickly changed a tune, a phrase here, which means, immediately said, counts, instead of, which, instead, which means something like, let's live here. Counts indeed, Klaus agreed, and showed Violet and what he and Sunny were talking about. Violet gasped, and the three siblings looked around and felt a little flutter in their stomachs again. But this one was less nervous flutter and more of a hopeful one. A hope that maybe Mr. Poe's last phone call can really solve all of their problems, and that maybe what they read right here in this brochure would turn out to be more important than what they did.